Amen. Let's take our Bibles tonight and open up to the book of Hebrews chapter 13. Wow, I still can't believe we're in chapter 13. You know, it uh, reminds me, all these years we've been waiting for the coming of the Lord, and I think we're closer than ever before, and uh, I sort of think that way a lot lately, um, the coming of the Lord. And here, Hebrews chapter 13, we're almost at the end. I wonder if we'll get to the end before the Lord comes back, because we've got a few more Wednesdays uh, before us, and you never know. Well, uh, in chapter 13, uh, Paul gave us a series of four admonitions about being careful. And um, if you look here, he, um, he tells us here, um, verse 1, let brotherly love continue, be not forgetful to entertain strangers. But remember, verse 3, remember them that are in bonds as bound with them. And then um, he speaks of marriage, about uh, remembering to keep that pure. And now we get into this second admonition and uh, tonight, and it's entitled, Be Careful to Maintain Christian Submission. That's an important subject, and we're going to look at that just now. So let's begin with, with some prayer before we do. Our Heavenly Father, once again, we ask you please to use the Holy Spirit as our Bible's teacher tonight to our hearts and to take the truth of Scripture and to bring it home to us. Lord, help us to grow. We know that uh, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So, Lord, please increase our faith tonight as we hear the Word of God. Holy Spirit, apply it to our hearts. We ask that you would make us to... Um, uh, be very near to the Father tonight and prepare our hearts for the prayer time in just a little while. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, chapter 13 and uh, verse number 5. Notice um, we're looking at now being careful to maintain Christian submission. Uh, Paul writes and he says, let your conversation be without covetousness. Now in these uh, couple of verses here, we've got some words that we want to give definition to so that we're all kind of on the same page. Um, the word conversation, when he says, let your conversation be without covetousness, I think most of us are aware that this is a word that when used back in the uh, days that when the King James Bible was written, the word conversation meant lifestyle or your behavior, as in your daily behavior. So the idea is to let your conversation, let your lifestyle be without covetousness. Now there's uh, an interesting um, uh, difference between uh, covetousness, say, and greed uh, or uh, lust or something like that. Uh, covetousness is an eager longing for something that is attainable. Um, and there's a lot of things in this world that are attainable. And so when we let our, our desires out of control, we get this, this eager longing after things that, um, that can be obtained. And that's easy to do today with debt financing. Uh, it, it, it takes almost nothing to get a credit card. And then you go in, you get a $2,000 limit to begin, and you use that up and you, you get a notification that they've bumped your limit to $5,000. And then so uh, that takes you another little while and 
then your credit you know, is 4,000, 4,500 that you, you owe, and it isn't long before they bump you up another couple of thousand dollars. And this is a, a trap, is what it is. But it's very easy to, to buy all kinds of things that you want. They're within grasp. And advertising makes that uh, very real. <clears throat> Economy today is very much built on debt financing. Most Canadians are in debt. And I don't mean just like for a house or something. I mean for cars and for other things like vacations, which are over now, but you're still paying for them. Or Christmas gifts, where we bought all these things, gave them all away to people we hate, but yet we're left with thousands of dollars with debt. And some people spend pretty much the whole year paying off the credit card debt, only to go into it again come the following uh, Christmas time. And so uh, let your conversation be without covetousness. Um, so let your lifestyle <clears throat> be without this eager longing for things that you, you can attain if you try hard enough. He says, goes on in verse 5 he says and be content with such things as ye have the word content means to limit those desires to limit your desires to what you already have very important uh, our Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 12 said take heed and beware of covetousness now those words were not only true 2,000 years ago but they are true 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 today and I suggest to you that uh, if they were true 2,000 thousand years ago they're true 10 times more today because uh, how easy it is to uh, get involved with debt financing and to get ourselves behind the eight ball and so Jesus said take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth and so we think we have to have all this new furniture we think we have to have all, all these toys we think we have to have these these brand new cars and things now listen in themselves there's nothing wrong with furniture or cars or toys or things like that. But if we have to go deep, deep into debt uh, in order to have them, we need to really seriously question, are we doing this right? Are we really doing it right? Now, here in verse 5, we have this amazing promise that God makes. He says, uh, says, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now that's given to us, folks, in the light of covetousness. Look at the context. Let your, your conversation, your lifestyle be without covetousness. That's that eager uh, longing for things that you really can get if you use your credit card, if you go into debt for it, fi debt financing. You can really have these things. Or listen, you don't even have to do that. You could just take all of the family savings and go and blow it on something. And that may not be such a, uh, a good idea if you've got a nest egg, a, a cushion, a safety net or something, some a few thousand dollars, that's your financial safety net in case you have some, some big expense and you just take that and blow it, you know, on the wild weekend or something. Yes, you can attain that wild weekend. You really can, but at what cost? I suggest a horrendous cost, a cost that you may be for years trying to catch up on. So here the promise of God is, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The word forsake, we know what leave means. You know, there's the door, leave. But forsake, the word forsake means to give up on someone, to abandon them, to quit on them. Now, what we've been talking about here in verse 5, about letting your lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have, all that is easier said than done. We live in a world where it's hard not to get involved with these things. We go shopping and boy, do they make things look appealing. 
commercials on the television and pop-ups on the internet make things look very attractive. And we live in this world and uh, we're constantly being bombarded by uh, alluring uh, advertising on billboards, um, magazines, uh, newspapers. Internet, of course, is a big one. Uh, television still. Commercials are always there. Sometimes if you watched a, a one-hour program, you may find that uh, uh, between 10 and 15 minutes of that one-hour program is nothing but commercials all trying to get you to go to the phone and use your credit card or run down to the store and, and buy, buy, buy. Uh, we all have to do a little bit of buying, no question. But uh, even 2,000 years ago, they struggled with the same problem about let your conversation, let your lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And so... What God has done is he supplied us with the answer, and that's in the next verse, verse 6. So that we may boldly say. Now, I'd like to stop right there and point something out. There is a place for boldness in the Christian life. Not always are we meant to be uh, meek and quiet and, uh, you know, unspoken and in the, the background and the shadows. There's a place for boldness in the Christian life. Uh, look back at chapter 4. Here's uh, one. Actually, there's two times in the book of Hebrews where this concept of being bold is mentioned. Two times. And the first one is in chapter 4, and it's in verse 16. Would you read that verse out loud together with me, please? Hebrews 4:16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can come boldly. Unsaved people don't understand that. Some very highfalutin religious people don't understand that. And they say, how brazen of you to think that, that God would stop all of what he's doing and keeping the universe going and stop all that in order to pay attention to you. And that, that's the truth, though, that he does. Uh, not that he stops the universe, but that he's able to keep that going, but that he can also give us his attention, his full attention, too. Not just kind of half a year, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, sure, 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 okay, go away, I'll look after it. He doesn't do that when we come to him in prayer. He gives us his attention, and uh, we, we really wouldn't want anything less. I wonder, do we give him our attention? I wonder if we give back to him what we expect from him. And so here in chapter 4 and verse 16, we're told by Paul, he says that we may come boldly unto the throne of grace. Now, I'd like to remind you that in Proverbs 28.1, it says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And lions can be pretty bold. I've uh, seen uh, YouTube movies of lions, and uh, they, they don't seem to back down from much, except maybe the lioness. And when she gets after the lion, maybe he'll run hide behind a tree or something. But <clears throat> other than that, uh, the lion is pretty bold. I've seen uh, this YouTube where there's uh, someone standing at one of these zoos where they have the one-inch thick glass and a lion in the background and someone's standing there to get their picture taken and when they turn their back, the lion charges. 
Little lion hasn't figured out the concept of glass yet. And uh, like the fly, the flies never seem to get it, do they? They're always buzzing up against the window, figuring if they could just keep at it, they'll get through somehow. So uh, I think fish in the tank are a little like that. But the lion behind the uh, one inch thick glass, he comes charging up as if to capture this uh, person, his prey. And they're very bold, uh, lions are. But then it says the righteous are as bold as a lion. Then where does that come from? I think that comes from our Lord, our connection with God. That's how we get our boldness. Um, Again, I'd like to remind you that um, in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, uh, Peter and John had been arrested. And when they stood before the the council there, uh, they spoke boldly. And it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, anyhow, they took notice that they'd been with Jesus. Your boldness will depend on your connection with Jesus. That's why you need a daily constant firm connection with Jesus it needs to start first thing in the morning and it needs to continue throughout the day many of us have devotions first thing in the morning but then after we close our bible and we uh, we say okay where's my toast and coffee and you know I got to get my briefcase and I'm out the door and we tend to forget and so we break the fellowship and what we want to get is unbroken fellowship all through the day now is that even possible I think it is. I think it's possible to go through a day in unbroken fellowship with Jesus Christ. That means to always have him in your mind. Have him in your mind. Have him in your mind. You know, a young couple, when they're first dating and they're all in love and little birdies tweet and violins play and they just think of each other all day long. They get up in the morning and say, I wonder how he's doing. I wonder how she's doing today. And they can, they can hardly wait till after work they're, they're able to get together again, you see. But they think of each other. So yes, if we can do that, surely we can also do that with the Lord and walk with the Lord through the day. And so unbroken fellowship, very important here. Now, it says we may boldly say the word boldness means to be filled with courage. That's what it means, to be filled with courage. The devil tries to fill us with a spirit of fear. Did you know that? Yes or no? Yes. How many have felt that at some point, a spirit of fear? Have you ever felt that? All right. How many don't know what I'm talking about? All right. Uh, Well, okay. How many don't like to raise their hands in church? Okay, uh, good. Everyone keeps their hand down. Okay. Well, it's true. The devil tries to fill us with the spirit of fear, but God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Isn't that right? Isn't that what the Bible says? Amen. Amen it is. Um, The devil tries to make us afraid. He makes us afraid of losing our job. He makes us afraid of losing our possessions. He makes us afraid of losing our friends and our loved ones and our families. He makes us afraid because that's what he's in the business of doing. He is the one who sponsors some kind of spirit of fear. God hath not given us a spirit of fear. Satan is the one behind that, all, all that craziness there. And boldness means to be filled with courage. And by the grace of God, you and I are able to proclaim the following two truths. It's in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 6. The first one is this. The Lord is my helper. That's a bold claim. To unsaved people, they say, oh, that's preposterous to say that God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, is your helper. Well, that's what the Bible says. We may boldly say that. And you can only say that 
with your connection with the Lord. If you're not walking in step with the Lord, you're going to kind of trail off to one side, and no doubt you will feel a spirit of fear, maybe spirit of bondage and things like that. But as you snuggle back up close with the Lord every day, that uh, those chains of bondage are broken, and you're filled with courage, boldness, that you're able to say, the Lord is my helper. As I read those words, I thought of David's words in Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my what? Shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, a shepherd is a helper of the sheep, isn't he? Yes? Am I wrong? Am I right? Yeah, the shepherd helps the sheep. And David said, the Lord is my shepherd. And here Paul is telling us, the Lord is my helper. Now, isn't that interesting? How many want God to be their helper? Huh? I sure do. Oh, every day. And when I'm leaving the house, I'm, I'm asking the Lord for help. Now this here, the Lord is my helper, is almost a quote from Psalm 30, which says, Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me, Lord. Be thou my helper. Be thou my helper. And God really does help. And he helps in practical ways. He gives wisdom. He gives money. He gives health. He gives friends and families and babies and homes and cars and jobs and on the list goes. God does these things because he is our helper. And we can boldly say that. Now look at the context we're, we're looking at here again. It's let your conversation, your lifestyle be without covetousness. Folks, you and I don't have to covet. We can chain up those uh, hungry desires. We can be content with the things we have. We don't have to have a brand new this or a brand new that or two of these instead of one. We don't have to have the things that the world is going after. Why? Because the Lord is my helper. You see the power of that? That's what Paul is trying to get across to us here. The Lord is my helper. I want you to know that God really does have the power to prosper his children. And listen, not only does he have the power, but he does prosper his children. I'd like you to keep your finger there in Hebrews. And I want you to go back to the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Old Testament. Go there now, would you please? Deuteronomy and find chapter 8. Would you do that, please? Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. <clears throat> you may want to have your pen or pencil handy. I like to suggest that you um, put a line under a verse or something here. But I'd like you to notice verse 18. Look at it here. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. And under, underline these words. For it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. I'd like to suggest you underline those words. Those words are not just solely, strictly a promise for Old Testament Israel before they got into the promised land. It indeed applied to them, but it applies to anyone who will remember the Lord thy God. Any believer, I believe, can take that promise of God. And uh, in the, f the margin of my Bible here, I wrote down... 20 acres. That's what I wrote. 20 acres. Say, so what do you want 20 acres for? I want it for the church. I want 20 acres for this church so that we can put up a, a big building and 
We could put up a, a college building and a boys' dormitory and a girls' dormitory. We could put up a Christian school. We could put up a Christian daycare. We could, we could put up a bus barn. How about that? And uh, maybe another building in there too. But you get the idea. God is able. Our problem is we think, oh, he'll never do that. And oh, this is too much to ask for. Open wide thy mouth and I will fill it, is the promise of God. But I want you to see this. Now, turn to the right to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, so about the middle of the Bible, just past the middle on the right. Proverbs in chapter 10. Proverbs in chapter 10. So I want you to see that God really does prosper his children. This is not some theoretical promise. This is a practical promise. When God says he'll be our helper. Paul said we may boldly say the Lord is my helper. He's going to be my helper in order to get material things in this world. Proverbs chapter 10. And I'd like you to look at verse 22. Read that out loud together with me please. Verse 22. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. God says that when he blesses you, it'll make you rich. Wow, does that mean I'm going to have $10 million? It doesn't mean you're going to have $10 million. It doesn't even mean you're going to have $1 million. But the idea of rich means to have more than your basic needs. If you have more than your basic needs, then you are rich. You see, we use rich in a very uh, comparative way way. In this uh, country here, we say, oh boy, if only I had a million dollars, then I'd be rich. Do you realize there are countries in this world where if you said, if only I had a hundred thousand dollars, I'd be rich because in those countries, a hundred thousand dollars has the same buying power as a million dollars over here. And then if you went to other countries still, you'd say, if only I had $10,000, I'd be rich. Because $10,000 in those countries has the same buying power as $100,000 in other countries and has the same buying power as a million dollars in this country. And there are countries still where if you said, if only I had $1,000, I'd be rich. Now listen, a thousand Canadian dollars. Many of us here tonight could easily lay our hands on a thousand Canadian dollars. Some of you could go to the bank and within a few minutes you could uh, make some kind of arrangement and you could have a thousand Canadian dollars or two thousand Canadian dollars in your hot little hand. But in this country, what are you going to buy with a thousand bucks? You can't go buy a house. And yet there are places in the world with a thousand dollars you could buy the finest of mud huts. You could buy the, the finest of roast pig. Huh? There are places in the world where $1,000 would really set you up pretty. So you see, it's very comparative, isn't it? In this country, we say, oh, if only I had a million dollars. Do you realize there are many people in this country where they would weep if all they had was a million dollars? They'd say, I can't afford to live on a million dollars. That's not enough. I need much more than that. And some people do have lifestyles of more than a million dollars a year. There's many of them. But I just want you to see here, let's go back here again to uh, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 6. We may boldly say, boldness with, with great courage, the Lord is my helper. Now remember, God is not in this get rich quick kind of thing. So uh, forget that stuff. Forget all of these uh, um, scratch 
things and these lotto numbers and casinos and bingos and let all that stuff go. Let the Lord bless you. Avoid, avoid the get rich quick. Avoid the debt. Let the Lord look after you because God does give wealth, but it comes in God's timing and it comes through good, honest work. But God does give wealth. Now, we may boldly say, why do we want to boldly say this? Because the, we are being pressured. We're being scared and we're being pressured to being uh, afraid and covetous. And so we don't need any of that because we may boldly say two things. Number one, the Lord is my helper. Number two, in verse six at the end, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. I will not fear what any man can do to me. So how can you say that? Because of truth number one. We have two truths here in this verse. Truth number one is the Lord is my helper. That one truth there, we could put the period, we could stop. But he goes on and he says, the second truth, I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Uh, The first truth is the reason we have the second truth. Now in Psalm 56, it says, in God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. That's what the psalmist said. In Psalm 118, it says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? And so we have these Old Testament truths coming out once again, big as life here in the book of Hebrews. And now remember that all of this is in the context here of verse 5, let your conversation, your manner of life, your lifestyle be without covetousness. If you and I could push a button and eliminate covetousness, we would eliminate half our problems. I'm sure that half of our problems in the average Christian life today here in Canada, I'm sure half of our problems somehow stem from covetousness. Remember that covetousness is this eager desire for things that you really can have. Now, uh, there are things that you're never going to get. No matter what you want, you're never going to get them. Someone says, I want to be God. Well, you could desire and wish that, and you could go into debt for that, but you're still not going to get it, right? I want to be able to jump and break through the laws of gravity. Uh, You can wish that all you want, but you're not going to get it. There are things that uh, some people want that are impossible to get. Uh, But then there are many other things that are possible to get. And those are the things there that Paul is warning us about here. When he says, let your conversation be without covetousness. You don't need it because you've got God on your side. You can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And then you can say, I will not fear what man can do unto me. Yeah, what if your boss threatens you? I will not fear what man can do unto me. What if your loved one threatens you? I will not fear what man can do unto me. What if uh, uh, the doctor threatens you? (laughs) You go to see the doctor and he says, I'm telling you, you've only got a few days left to live. Uh, What are you going to do about it? I will not fear, you know, what man can do unto me. Well, if I've got a few days to live, I've got a few days to live. That means in a few days, hallelujah, I'm going to have all my problems solved. If I only got a few days to live, hallelujah, I don't have another debt to pay. If I only got a few days to live, hallelujah, I don't have any sin nature to worry about. I don't have any housing problem to worry about because I got a mansion up there. Wow, I'm going to have it made. Hallelujah. I will not fear what man can do unto me. Praise the Lord. Verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you. Now in the light of verse 5 and 6, we can actually come to verse 7. If 
if we're letting our lifestyle be without covetousness and we're connected in with the Lord and we're saying, boy, oh boy, the Lord's my helper. I will not fear what man can do unto me. Now he comes to verse seven. Remember them which have the rule over you. Say, what does that mean? The prime minister and the mayor and the police of, chief of police? No, look at the context here. Who have spoken unto you the word of God. Now them which have the rule over you, uh, over in First Peter, they're called the, well, they're referred to as the, kind of like the under shepherd. In fact, let's take a look at that. It's just a couple pages to the right. Go to First Peter chapter five. Keep your place in Hebrews. First Peter chapter five. Now, let's see here. Uh, there are three terms given in the Bible, and they all refer to the same, same person. Chapter 5, verse 1, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. <coughs> we have three <coughs> terms here, elder, pastor, and bishop. Elder is mentioned in verse 1. The idea means some spiritual years, some spiritual maturity. Um, Paul warned in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that a pastor uh, is, is not to be a novice. He can't be like newly saved. He's got to have some experience, a few years there at least anyhow. And then in verse 2, feed the flock. That's the job of a shepherd or another word for a shepherd is a pastor a pastor. Um, someone said, uh, what do they call pastors in Germany? They call them German shepherds. <laughs> Little humor there. But feeding the flock of God is the job of the shepherd. And that's what the word pastor means. A pastor means shepherd. And then taking the oversight thereof, that's what the word bishop means, is an overseer. And you've probably read those three terms in the New Testament. And so we have those three terms referring to the very same man. And so here... Peter is saying the elders which are among you. Now he's talking to this group of elders and he's telling them to feed the flock. So these same elders are also pastors and the same group of elders which are also pastors are also overseers or bishops because he says taking the oversight thereof. And he says not by constraint but willingly. Not for filthy lucre but of a ready mind. I mean, Don't be in the ministry for money. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. So there needs to be some kind of humility involved. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd. Now because you have a chief shepherd, because there's a chief, there has to be the under shepherd. And that's where the term comes from. Because Jesus is the chief shepherd, the pastor is the under shepherd. Does that make sense? Anyhow, that's... That's what it means. So we're back to um, Hebrews 13. And Paul writes, Remember them which have the rule over you. So he's talking about the under shepherd, the pastor of the church. Now to remember simply means to keep in mind and not to forget. I don't know about you, but uh, my memory is a challenge at times. Sometimes I forget things. Uh, that's, that's me. That's... that's Sometimes I find it difficult to remember certain names. Some names are very easy for me to remember. Some names are very difficult for me to remember. I don't know why that is, but I have to work at it. There are some things that I have to work very hard at trying to remember. There's other things that come very easily. 
But we're told here that we are to remember, that means don't forget, we're to remember them which have the rule over you. I'd like to suggest that a good way to remember the pastor is remember the pastor in prayer because the pastor needs prayer. Pastor needs a lot of prayer. I believe that to be a pastor of a church means to set yourself up to be the devil's enemy. I've often found myself in the crosshairs of of Satan's uh, sniper scope. I've often uh, been the recipient of uh, his persecution. And uh, I would certainly appreciate your prayers. Secondly, maybe remember also what they say. Because he goes on in verse 7. He says, who have spoken unto you the word of God. That means Bible teaching. Now with that in mind, keep your finger in Hebrews. And go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Not too far. Not too far. If you get to Thessalonians, you've gone too far. Just like what I did just now. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And um, verse 1, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, remember, what is a bishop? Bishop is the same as a what? As a pastor, right? Which is the same as a elder. That's right. All three are the same. And so if he desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Verse 2, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality. Now look at these next three words apt to teach. There needs to be an aptness to teaching. And so one of the important aspects of being a pastor is to be able to teach and communicate the Word of God to God's people. Uh, Imagine a shepherd who's not able to feed his sheep. Well, what what is he in the business of being a shepherd for? If you're going to be a shepherd, you need to be able to feed your sheep. Uh, I have uh, at home an aquarium which I'm probably going to put up on the Craigslist for sale because uh, I don't think I can uh, keep up with the upkeep on it anymore. But it's a nice 30-gallon aquarium. And I love the life of the little fish that are in there. And the fish, every morning when I turn the light on, the fish know that means breakfast. And so I've got these frozen bloodworms. Imagine, that sounds creepy, doesn't it? But I cut off a tiny little square and I put it in some water till it all melts. And then I pour it in and the fish go crazy. They love this. But that's the feeding time. They get fed once a day in the morning. And then they spend the rest of the day with fat little tummies uh, under the shade of a rock or something like that. And so uh, feeding time, I feed the fish. If I didn't know how to feed the fish, how long would my fish last? few days, a week, two weeks, they'd be floating. They'd be on the, the fish would be eating each other. They'd be so hungry, right? Look, there's supper. Who? Tom, he's dead. Get him. There's supper for all of us if we're careful. Uh, So it's important that the pastor be able to feed the flock. If you turn to chapter five of first Timothy, chapter five and verse uh, 17, 17, Paul says, let the elders that rule well. Now, elders are what? Another word for what? Pastors, right. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. There's studying and there's preaching there. And so here we see that uh, it's very important that uh, the pastor communicate the word of God to God's people. Um, If you go back here to uh, Hebrews, so we'll look at it again. Verse 7, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. Now, he says, whose faith followed. Do you see those words in verse 7? 
Say them out loud with me, please. Whose faith follow? Now, it doesn't mean that you're supposed to follow the pastor into the full-time ministry. That's not what Paul is saying when he says here to uh, follow. He's not necessarily meaning that. But what he is saying is to follow their faith. Whose faith follow? That's what Paul is saying that uh, you're to follow, is the faith. Now, for this, we'll go back to 1 Corinthians, back a little bit, teeny bit further to 1 Corinthians and to uh, chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. First Corinthians chapter 4, we have this very same principle. Uh, remember that Paul spent about a year and a half in Corinth uh, starting this church and pastoring this church. And then he moved on, and this church had problems, and then he wrote the book of First Corinthians to help correct things. But look at verse 16. Verse 16, 4 and 16, he says, Wherefore I beseech you, that means I beg you, I get on my knees and I beg you, be ye followers of me. So Paul was saying, listen, just follow me as I follow Christ, you follow me, and we'll get, we'll get, we'll get through this thing. Because they, they had a problem. Some of them were saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, right? Or Peter, you know, I am of Christ, things like that. And uh, Paul was basically saying, well, I'm following Christ. And so he, his admonition here was, follow me. And if you look at chapter 11, you'll see uh, this very same uh, admonition, verse 1, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And so that gives us sort of the, uh, the idea, the model here. Uh, what it means is this, is to, uh, to follow the faith of the pastor. Say, well, what if he's got lousy faith? Okay, that could be. What if he's got a, a rotten faith or no faith? That could be the case. But go back to 13 verse 7. It says, whose faith follow, then considering the end of their conversation. The word consider means to think deep and contemplate. It doesn't mean just to give a passing thought. It means to really stop and really think it through. Considering the end of their conversation. In other words, this. Is the pastor's life reflecting Jesus Christ? Are you able to see Jesus Christ in the pastor? Is there the fruit of the Spirit? Is that evident at all in the pastor's life? And if it is, then follow it. That's the idea here. Whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Follow, try to emulate it. You know, uh, parents try to emulate Jesus Christ to their children. They try to model Jesus Christ for their, their children. So their children have an idea of Jesus Christ. Uh, the under-shepherd has the job of modeling Jesus Christ for the people at church. Just the same way as Paul had the job of modeling Jesus Christ for the people there at the church at Corinth. Now, church people are not to blindly follow their pastors. That is not what this is saying. Uh, I think that uh, blindly following someone is not good. Even if it's a good person they're following, to blindly follow is not a good idea because there's no deep 
contemplation going on. There's, there's no considering the end of their conversation. And so blindly following pastors are, is not good because listen, what if the pastor is uh, following worldly desires and worldly pursuits? Then what? Then someone who's blindly following this pastor with worldly pursuits himself is going to get into worldly pursuits. Uh, what if there's a worldly influences? Only follow the pastor's faith if you feel it will lead you to greater depths of Christ-likeness. And so listen to what the pastor has to say. Listen to where he puts his emphasis. Uh, and you've got to evaluate that. As you sit there, as you think about it, as you go home, as you talk about it, you know, is there evidence of the fruit of the Spirit? Is there evidence of Christ-likeness? If there is and you believe that it's of God, then by all means follow it. But if you can't see Christ-likeness in the pastor, if you can't see the fruit of the Spirit, then either one of two things, either you're not contemplating or it's not there in the pastor. One of two things. And you've got to figure that one out yourself. Now, later in this chapter, Paul gives us a few more details under, uh, about the under-shepherd. We'll move on now to verse 8. This is where we're going to stop, at verse 8. But he says here now something that almost seems kind of strange. If you look at the context of what he's talking about, about uh, uh, not being covetous, being content, uh, boldly saying, the Lord is my helper, I'll not fear what man can do unto me, and then remember them which has the rule over you. You can kind of see how these things go together. But then out of the blue, he says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, what does that mean? Why did he say it? Well, first, let's say this. When he says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, I suggest that the primary idea is when Jesus was on earth. When Paul wrote this, it, many years had passed since Jesus was on earth. And when he says uh, yesterday, uh, I think the primary meaning was when he was on earth. And when he was on earth, he was a loving, gentle shepherd who cared for his, uh, his disciples and cared for God's people, and he suffered for us. Uh, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today. Well, where is he today? Today he's in heaven. What's he doing there? He's at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us, which means he's a prayer warrior. So he's the same Jesus yesterday and today and forever. Where's he going to be for all eternity? He's going to be with us and we're going to be with him and he's going to lead us on. Now, if someone here uh, is here tonight and they're thinking, well, I always thought that meant that Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, forever, for all eternity past and for this present age and for all eternity to come, he is the same. Well, you're not far off. Uh, because that, that's very true. However, he had no bodily form in eternity past. He only took the bodily form when he came to earth in the incarnation. And so someone might argue that. Now, listen, we know that Jesus, his heart and soul and mind, his purposes, his knowledge of right and wrong, all that has never changed. He is the same, the same Jesus. The same Jesus in, in that respect forever. He's never changed. But why did, why did Paul just bring this up sort of seemingly out of the blue when he's talking about uh, our lifestyle and, and don't be covetous and remember them that have the rule over you and you can kind of see the connection there. Why did Paul all of a sudden interject this, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today and forever? Well, it almost seems like a benediction, doesn't it? 
It almost seems like uh, something like that. And I suggest to you that Paul was putting Christ's royal seal upon what he just wrote. It's almost like Paul took the royal seal and the royal sealing wax and he sealed this statement. This, remember that what we're looking at is a series of four be carefuls. And this is be careful number two. Be careful to maintain Christian submission. And so as we submit ourselves to to the shepherd, that idea of the Lord is my helper, the Lord is my shepherd, and then submitting ourselves to the under shepherd, and we can see the connection here. And it's almost as if Paul is putting a, a royal stamp of approval on this, that he's saying like, folks, this is really of God. This is really important. This is what you need to know. It's like he's sealing it, what he just wrote. This same Jesus Christ who doesn't change is the one who gave this injunction to remember the under-shepherd, to remember the shepherd and remember the under-shepherd. We have to conclude now. In this section, Paul gives us the second of four things that we need to be careful about. And the second one is Christian submission. Number one, our submission to the shepherd himself is in verses five and six. Why would God ask us to submit ourselves to the shepherd, Jesus? First Peter 2.25 says, For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. I suggest to you two good reasons. Number one, in verse five, he's our provider. He's our shepherd. He's our provider. And verse 6, he's our protector. That's why we need to submit ourselves to the, the shepherd of our souls, to Jesus Christ, because he's our provider and he's our protector as well. And that's exactly the job of a shepherd. And then secondly, is verses 7 and 8, our submission to the under-shepherd. Why would God ask us to carefully submit ourselves to the under-shepherd? Well, if the under-shepherd is following the shepherd, then you can see the wisdom there. But I'd like to suggest to you at least three reasons. Number one, for our protection from wolves and from false doctrines. Well, I was talking to Brother Carter from Bellingham. He was up here for a couple of hours this morning. We were talking about things of uh, the um, BC Baptist College. He's going to be one of our teachers this, this fall. We're real excited about it. But Brother Carter at Bellingham Baptist Church, a great man of God. He's doing great work there. And we got talking about sort of the, the typical church scene today. And we were both lamenting that not enough Christians are reading their Bibles. And so because of that, uh, a lot are kind of mixed up. He and his wife spent three and a half hours last week uh, straightening out uh, a lady's doctrine who'd come out of some wild Pentecostal church. And she, her doctrine was all over the map. And so uh, they went through very carefully with her. This is exactly what salvation is. Now, in dealing with her, they believe she's actually saved. She got saved, but not at that Pentecostal church. She got saved way back when she was about seven or eight years of age at a Baptist church near where she was living. She made an honest, genuine commitment of her heart and soul to the Lord. She believed she got saved, but she wandered and she got involved with the Pentecostals and the Charismatics and her doctrine went all over the place and she was really mixed up. And after three and a half hours, she began to say, Wow, I'm starting to understand now. Now, the, she's still got a road ahead of her. When you, when you get all mixed up, it takes a while to come back. 
boy, the cults, the Christian cults are really specialists at mixing people up in their doctrine. And unfortunately, when a lot of these people leave the cult, they're so totally mixed up, they want nothing to do with religion. They've been so badly mixed up and burned. That's really sad. But why would God ask us to submit ourselves to an under-shepherd? Number one, for our protection. Number two, for our blessing. Because I'll tell you this, God never, ever, ever asks us to submit to something without blessing us for it. Anytime God asks us to submit to something, He always blesses us for it. I'll give you an example. Tithing. He asks us to submit ourselves to tithing. And what does he do? He opens to us the windows of heaven and he blesses us for it. I'll give you another example. God asks us to submit ourselves to honoring our parents. What does God do? He blesses us by making things go well with us and giving us a long life. Every time God asks us to submit to something, God is right there ready to add his blessings. And so this is the second reason, because God will bless us for it. Number three, the third reason is for the glory of God. I don't believe that there's much else that'll put the devil to more shame and defeat than when we submit to God. We literally crown God the King of our lives and Lord of Lords when we do this. Now, We've come to the end. Next week, God willing, we're going to be looking at uh, being the, the third injunction about being careful to maintain Christian doctrine. But for tonight, being careful to maintain Christian submission. I trust the Spirit of God. Use that in your heart. Let's pray.